The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. But uh, I thought it would be useful, particularly with a view to uh, a certain background in my lecturing, and getting you oriented in the theology of Hebrews as a whole, uh, before you go off on a particular area of research, to read some items. Um, And these are things that I have found uh, particularly useful or um, are um, works, things I think you ought to be aware of. Uh, they're listed here in alphabetical order, and so I'll just comment on them briefly because you don't uh, necessarily need to read them in order. The um, uh, article of Barrett, it goes back a few years now, probably I think it's the 50s or the 60s, but uh, one area we're going to get into, and if you have done any work in biblical studies, you'll uh, appreciate why this is the case. Uh, if you're going to talk about the theology of Hebrews, you have to talk about the eschatology of Hebrews. And Barrett's article um, stands the test of time uh, in uh, laying out certain um, considerations in a very, uh, very helpful, uh, lucid way. Uh, that volume, it's a fesh shrift, um, it is no longer in print. And um, as I had it arranged with um, the library, I haven't checked the scene that this is, see if this is the case, but. Uh, there ought to be several copies on, the book will be on reserve, and I think uh, they have copied, um, made several copies, so everybody should be able to get at that. And so that's one thing you might read uh, first as much as anything. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the next item ought to be put at a much lower profile in, uh, in terms of the assignment, and that's not some sort of uh, false humility or whatever. Uh, that uh, I'm asking you to read that essay um, because it will bear on things that I want to take up in class, and I don't simply want to repeat everything in, in lecturing here that I put down in writing. It's on a more specific issue. It doesn't uh, provide so much of a of a general orientation as the as the other works do. And again, I. Don't think I've done this yet, but I will have it done uh, forthwith. Um, that volume will be on on uh, sale. It's uh, a collection of essays that was published back in '86 um, as uh, commem- commemorating the 50th uh, anniversary of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. The volume is available um, to purchase, but uh, again, I'll make sure that there's several uh, copies on reserve. Look at the next three items together. Bracket them uh, as it works out in alphabetical order. The reason I've chosen them is that they represent more recent works on New Testament theology, and in those works uh, dealing with uh, pertinent sections, dealing with Hebrews, the theology of Hebrews. And I think if you just look at the number of pages, that already tells you something. It's, it's, it's very instructive. Um, understandable, too, um, 
but uh, works on works on New Testament theology, as you're aware, whether they take a, a topical approach or uh, work in terms of sections of the canon, tend to focus on Jesus and Paul, and that rightly. I don't think I, I'm not wanting to make a a big issue of that. Uh, the uh, the um, the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Paul. Uh, they represent, if you will, the, 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 the substantial substance of the New Testament, sort of the major axis of New Testament teaching. Uh, there can be a danger, though, that in that, uh, in, in that preoccupation, that the, uh, what might, uh, the, the, the smaller segments of New Testament teaching get pushed to the periphery in a way that uh, we, we need to be on guard against, the church needs to be on guard against. And uh, I think particularly in the case of the book of Hebrews, which is a substantial uh, document. And so that you'll find these works helpful, I think. Um, they come from slightly different backgrounds, but uh, uh, Goppelt, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to categorize him. He's sort of a conservative critic. Uh, and by critic, I mean um, someone not, um, just to put it in simple uh, terms, someone not uh, committed to the... Um, to the divine origin, inspired origin of the text of Scripture and its, its resultant authority. Aladdin and Morris, th- those are names you probably, most of you know better, um, American uh, and Australian uh, evangelicals, uh, Morris uh, Anglican. Um, they're, uh, uh, but the, the, the three of them, I think you read them together, you'll... Um, It'll be helpful and yet also somewhat frustrating in the sense that um, the discussions are very brief. Now, the next item is um, a book that uh, actually it's a collection of, of um, primarily a collection of uh, articles in, in the, from the Princeton Theological Review. Well, that's not entirely true to a certain extent, but uh, if, if I'm asked to, re- to recommend one document on the uh, one book on the uh, theology of Hebrews it's this volume of Boss teaching of the epistle to Hebrews which was out of um, of um, a print for uh, a number of years is is now available again available also with a, a scripture index which is didn't have previously helpful um, I, I guess I shouldn't take up time here communicating my enthusiasm for Voss everybody uh, already has, is acquiring uh, that to a certain extent for themselves, I hope. But um, again, um, the uh, I'm asking, the book is, what, about 120 pages long, um, smaller pages. Uh, you won't breeze through it, but I'm asking you to um, to read the entire document and or the t- entire book, and it will um, um, also... It's something that you'll, if you do the reading um, in advance, you'll see it has emphasized, uh, exercised a considerable influence on on what I want to say. And will, and in fact, you could maybe see much of my, a, a fair amount of my lecturing at points is, is really amplifying a boss, maybe building on him to a certain extent. Now, um, I'm also asking you further to read in Voss the two articles uh, from the collection of his shorter writings that have to do with the um, 
with Hebrews, one on the conception of covenant and uh, the priesthood of Christ. Uh, if you're not already aware of it, uh, quite sent both very central conceptions in the book of Hebrews. Uh, there'll be a certain amount of overlap between um, these articles. They both uh, they appeared in the uh, Princeton uh, Theological Journal, uh, Theological Review, toward the beginning of the um, century. A uh, certain amount of overlap with uh, the teaching book, but uh, in going into considerably greater depth. Um, so that will... Uh, that, that reading is probably something that, uh, depending on your schedule, I'd encourage you to, to set yourself to as soon as possible and, 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 and get through before you get involved in your own research. Now, uh, then, so then the final examination will cover uh, what we do here in class and that assigned reading. Uh, notice that while I am not requiring... Um, the, uh, I'm not going to be giving any formal examining on the Greek text here. I'm not requiring that you translate it. I do encourage you, and this is a demanding uh, a, uh, task if you, if you haven't done it before, um, to work through uh, the Greek text in its entirety. But uh, when it comes to the final, uh, you'll only be able to use a Greek text. And um, uh, I think that you'll... As you see where we focus our attention in the lecturing and the reading, you'll, you'll be able to see where you need to be prepared. But if you're interested in, in um, reaching toward the goal of a consummate handling of the Greek New Testament, uh, then you'll want to spend some time working through Hebrews, text of Hebrews. Now, then, the other... Um, Requirement is is a is a major page, paper. Uh, as I understand it, there are only um, eight eight one people here, so that uh, you see, I'm asking you to aim for twenty to twenty five pages. Um, again, I, I'll ask you to uh, to hold within that unless you um, there, there's some reason you feel that you should be granted an exception. Um, I hope to be reasonable and somewhat flexible. So uh, if you, uh, you can talk to me about that, but uh, uh, everything, uh, all things being equal, whatever that means, um, hold to that, that page limit so that I can, um, uh, for at least for one thing, process them expeditiously. That paper will be due on the December 13th. That's just the stipulation of the, of the catalog. Now I'm giving you, uh, I'm not giving any particular uh, guidelines on that paper other than I want it to be a biblical theological paper or a paper that will focus on the theology of, of um, pick up on some area of the teaching or the theology of Hebrews. And um, that can be a more thematic approach or it can be uh, one that would pick up more um, use a a particular passage as a base. Uh, And I'm deliberately keeping that kind of open because I want to accommodate what might be your interests here so that um, I'm giving you several weeks, you see, 
Uh, I'm asking that by our October 1st meeting that you give me some indication of, of what you want to be working on. And if, uh, you know, if you're having trouble tying something down, don't hesitate to, uh, uh, you know, get, let's get together and, and talk about that. I'd be happy to make some suggestions. But I think um, part of the ball game here, if you will, uh, at this at, at the level of, of our work is that um, you know I, I put that burden on you to um, to identify and uh, and control a certain topic uh, through the process of, of producing a paper. They um, then ju- just a. I've added at the bottom there some indication of commentaries. Uh, that's obviously not exhaustive. These are things that I've found to be helpful among uh, certainly other things that are helpful too, but um, probably most useful. Let me add to that. I meant to get this down, but, but forgot when I was uh, processing this again. Uh, William Lane, name that will be known to... Some of you, he has the commentary on uh, Mark in the New International Commentary series. He has a he, there's a smaller, more popular commentary on on Hebrews that's out. Um, he, there's a major commentary that is about to appear. Has anyone seen it? I, I haven't. I've uh, been trying to keep an eye for it. It may have come uh, come out and I missed it, but uh, um, appearing. Um, presumably in, in, in the very near future. It's a commentary project that he's been working on for, for a good long time and will uh, you know, probably have the same um, excellent qualities as his, his work on Mark. Now, you can see that there are uh, two main areas, two loci, if you, or loci, if you will, of, of our work. Um, the first can, that we'll be doing is developing under the heading of eschatology and ethics. There's different names that could be given, Christology and Paranasis. Even more uh, uh, generally, something like indicative and imperative. And um, the, um, the movement of the discussion, let, just let me say in advance, is such that in section A, uh, there's a progression in the sense that as you move through uh, A, B, and C, we get to a more uh, uh, increasingly more concrete or definite focus of a particular relational concern. Uh, More general in A, we we, uh, narrow that down somewhat in B and then um, focus it very concretely in C. And that provides a base then for uh, particularly dealing with uh, the much debated uh, passages on apostasy. Then the um, other main area that we'll be working at is on what is very central in the teaching of the document, what the writer says about the priestly or the high priestly ministry of Jesus. So the... uh, uh, the rationale here isn't particularly uh, complex or whatever. So, uh, 
if um, looking under um, first of all under Roman numeral one, I want to make some comments that I have here under the general heading of composition and purpose, um, in which uh, the tendency of our discussion as we look at the verses indicated there is going to uh, underline the the strategic or central significance of the document in the document of the integration of doctrine and life, the integration of doctrine and life. And how we'll proceed here is uh, uh, through a series of... um, of points, three main points. First of all, um, let me begin. I already, in in my uh, introductory uh, comments uh, or, or pre-introductory comments, I already said something about questions of introduction, and let me just touch on that a little bit further here. Uh, when it comes to questions of so-called special introduction. That is, introductory questions that are, are um, uh, specific uh, to the document, to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews continues to be an enigma. As you're aware, the question of authorship is a perennial riddle of New Testament studies. As Origen says already, uh, 3rd century and no one's really been able to gainsay him. God only knows who the human author is. But beyond that, it has also not been possible to reach firm conclusions as to the place of origin of the document. That, of course, is very much bound up with the, the issue of authorship. Uh, and similarly, of date, is it before A.D. 70? The um, more traditional view was to date it uh, in the 80s. Uh, More recently, efforts, um, say, represented by someone like J.A.T. Robinson, wanting to date everything in the New Testament uh, before the fall of Jerusalem, have tried to argue for a a, a pre-70 date. And then the question of destination. Who is the audience? Continues to be uh, very much... um, mooted about. Uh, Philip Hughes, for instance, in his commentary, uh, argues that these are people who have come, uh, the readership are those uh, Jewish Christians having come out of a Qumran uh, discipleship background. Um, Lane, I believe, is going to argue that they are Jewish Christians in Rome. Uh, others argue that um, they are located in the Lycus Valley. That's in, in uh, Asia Minor, um, in the, about in the center of uh, present-day Turkey. So you see you have quite a, quite a range there of, of, of options that are continue to be debated. Um, and even what, what those uh, viewpoints presupposes that the uh, readers are Jewish Christians, but even that assumption, which you can say is uh, uh, the majority view and even the traditional assumption, uh, that is that the readers are Jewish Christians of some sort, uh, that has been called into question. Not by uh, many, but I think uh, it's interesting um, that there can be some good reasons given um, 
for the, uh, in, in arguing that the document is addressed primarily to Gentile Christians. This is the way, this is the position that is taken by Voss, for instance. And you'll see that very briefly in the opening uh, chapter of the teaching book. Um, this is one place where Voss uh, hasn't convinced me. I think most likely the readers are Jewish Christians. But I, uh, as you work through it, uh, notice that he can make a, uh, a compelling and a credible um, argument. Um, and um, I guess that I would, um, I, would pro- I would probably be willing to concede, to put it negatively, concede that there is nothing that requires a Jewish Christian audience, if I could put it that way. Likely, that is the case, but nothing, um, I think, that absolutely requires that. So there is, uh, when it comes to the perennial special introductory questions, we're simply wanting to underline here at the outset, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain fog, a certain uh, uh, obscurity that hangs over the document. But now, recognizing that, what I want now uh, to go on in accent is that this does not, however, the situation in special introductory matters, it does not prevent us from reaching clear conceptions as to the purpose of the book and also as to its uh, distinctive character, its distinctive teaching. In other words, even though we don't know who the author was, even though we don't know where uh, uh, he may have, out of which situation he may have, uh, more, more concretely, which uh, historical situation he may have been writing, uh, the purpose uh, and the, uh, the, the development of, of the book are clear. Beyond that, um, we're able to see, let me put it this way now, uh, very well the situation in which the author and his readers find themselves. Or, uh, perhaps to say it better, we're able very uh, to see very clearly and, 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 and effectively from the document the situation of author and readers as the author himself wishes the reader to see it. So I'm saying that from, uh, I'm sort of playing around with the word situation uh, here. So from one angle, uh, the situation may be very obscure. From another angle, uh, the situation, um, at least as the writer would have us understand the situation, uh, comes through quite uh, sharply and effectively, and that is going to be a large part of what I'm doing in this first section to uh, to uh, sketch out uh, his understanding of the church's situation. Let me just go on here to make a couple of uh, remarks about this uh, this general uh, this overall state of affairs. Uh, on the one hand, uh, we're reminded that while background studies, uh, so-called introductory studies, certainly uh, enrich and deepen our understanding of the biblical texts, 
Well, that is certainly the case, and I, and I don't want in any way to be um, uh, obscuring that and, and, and toning down on the importance of such studies. While that's the case, uh, it seems that what Hebrews is uh, pointing us to consider is that such studies are not essential or indispensable for understanding In other words, the Bible is not a closed book. The Bible is not a closed book without such um, introductory studies uh, and, and answers at our disposal. Um, another side of the picture, though, uh, having, having said that and, and, and wanting to keep balance on that point, um, Hebrews obviously is not to be studied in isolation. That is, it's to be seen in the light of the other books of the New Testament. In other words, we have to be careful in focusing on this document as any uh, particular document that we do not lose canonical perspective. And out of that overall canonical perspective, we are able to... um, to elicit a historical framework that is the situation in the first century Mediterranean world where Christianity takes roots um, out of which the the, um, the New Testament comes um, and that enables us then uh, to clarify at least to a certain degree the somewhat indefinite situation that we have in Hebrews Now, um, shifting um, gears or terrain slightly. There are no questions or whatever on what we've just been saying. The, the popular tendency, I think we can fairly say it's a, 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 the traditional outlook, is to view Hebrews primarily as a doctrinal treatise, a didactic document. And that assessment of the book is certainly easy to understand because Hebrews contains some of the most extensive theological reflection that we find in the New Testament. And I don't hesitate to, to uh, put it in just in those terms. Theological reflection. Some of the most substantial in the New Testament. Um, without going into detail here, just um, think, for instance, of the segment 613 to 1018. 613 to 1018 Uh, comes as close as anything in the New Testament to being a doctrinal discourse in the customary sense. So unquestionably, the writer is, as C.K. Barrett puts it, a profound theologian. The writer is a profound theologian. And as Voss remarks on page 69 of the, of the teaching of the Hebrew, Epistle to the Hebrews, um, Voss 
puts it this way, the writer has in mind a well-defined doctrinal system. A well-defined doctrinal system. So anybody who argues that there, uh, wants to argue that there is no theology in the New Testament um, has, uh, I think, not read uh, the book of Hebrews carefully. Now, I want to... Uh, to, to accent and, and, and accent the uh, the element of validity in, in assessing then um, Hebrews as, as a doctrinal tract. There is, however, a great problem in that approach, and I think that's uh, borne out by uh, by the history of interpretation, the way the document has been approached. It tends to lose sight of the prominent place of hortatory elements in the book of Hebrews. In fact, the central place, the quite central place, we're going to want to work at this for ourselves, of exhortation in the book of Hebrews. Um, The central place in other terms, and I have this already down on your sheet, of, put it in the adjective form, paranetic elements. That's uh, just another term for, uh, a synonym for hortatory, having to do with imperatives or commands. Um, and is, uh, can be a useful term to, to capture, uh, particularly the noun paranasis, capture uh, concern with exhortation. It, it, the, um, actually, this is a loan work loan word from uh, from Greek parineo and uh, you can see examples of that uh, in Acts 27 verses 9 and 22 where it, it, it has a sense of warning or admonishing advising, urging So we want to think uh, now a little bit about, or work a little bit at uh, uh, at the uh, at trying to identify the the, the role of paranasis. And the first thing uh, we can do, and I ask you to do, and um, if you have a Greek uh, text at hand, you might want to turn there, I have an overhead we can look at too. Look at 1322. 1322, right at the end of the document. I exhort you, brothers, put up up with or bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And a couple comments now on uh, this closing statement. Uh, First of all, the uh, vocabulary of, you see both the verb and the cognate noun, uh, parakaleo, paraklesis, um, that is, as you're probably aware, a word that occurs frequently, a word family that occurs frequently in the New Testament, and has a a semantic range that 
uh, for fairly for our purposes of, of, of here we can generalize and say it refers on the one hand either to encouragement or comfort or exhortation, admonition. So that raises the question here for um, if, we, if we focus in now on the interpretation of this verse, how are we to understand the um, the um, the language, um, the usage here? Does it have in view more the idea of of consolation or that of exhortation, um, encouragement or uh, admonition? And as you look through uh, the document, say first of all looking at the noun. Um, you find um, really uh, the sense of consolation or encouragement in 618. And perhaps, although not certainly, in 12.5. I won't turn to those uh, verses here, let you look at them. Uh, in the sense of exhortation, there is uh, no occurrence, apparently, in, uh, in the document elsewhere. So far as the verb is concerned, parakaleo, uh, the sense of encourage or console uh, is likely, although I would say not certainly, in 1025. That's the statement, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Is that for the purpose of, of, of mutual encouragement and mutual exhortation? Um, most of the um, translations go with the idea of, of encouragement, but I'm not sure that you could be decisive uh, on that there. Uh, the verb in the sense of urge or exhort is uh, very um, Uh, clearly present in 3.13 and also just before our verse in 13.19 you'll see there the sense uh, has to it's, it's, it's an urging to um, what is the thought uh, you know that's, that, that, hap- that it happened quickly so um so far as the writer's usage elsewhere is concerned, um, there are there are precedents. There'd be background for for both, so that we're uh, we have to focus here, uh, particularly on the um, on the immediate context. And um, I think that we um, that, that where we're where we help ourselves then is is focusing here on what is the content of let's keep it open for a second uh, the the encouragement or the exhortation um, the content is that of putting up with the word of paraclesis and I think that uh, that certainly then signals that the sense here, when we see the content of uh, it, the, the idea of comfort or consolation, doesn't um, fit so well as that of, of, of exhortation or in, uh, encouragement or urging. Uh, 
which is, I think, the way the NIV translates it. Now, um, so we have then an exhortation um, or, or an urging here, and the urging then has as its content a, a further um, exhortation. Put up with the word of exhortation. Put up with the word of paraclesis that uh, has been written briefly. And um, the, uh, the, the fact, you see, that the, uh, the word of, of, of paraclesis is the object of putting up with or enduring, I think is, again, almost certainly a, a sign that what we have here, uh, an indicator this is to be taken in the sense of exhortation and not um, comfort. You don't, you don't urge somebody to put up with a word of comfort, but to do that with a word of exhortation. Now, uh, with those uh, sketchy uh, lexical observations, by the way, let me just, it is of interest, though, that we have this combination of logon, tespar, kleseos. We have that one other place in the New Testament, and that's uh, in Paul's sermon um, in Acts 13, 15. And there it is, I would say likely, although again not certainly, there it is likely a word of encouragement. They're asked, does anyone have a word of encouragement? So again, you just can't go on the, um, on the, on the, on the lexical combination. Um, you have to look at the, at the syntax as decisive here, and as we've said, the, the main verb, I think, um, points that up. Now... Um, why am I uh, taking the time to, uh, to set out uh, uh, these lexical facets and, and, uh, and, and focusing uh, on this? Well, uh, I think you can perhaps appreciate what, or what's at stake here is when we go on to observe that almost certainly now this expression... Logon tes parakleseos, that is a description of the entire writing, the entire document. This is the way in which the writer himself characterizes the document as a whole. Now it might be argued, and some have wanted to do this, that the reference back is as you look in chapter 13, to a series of imperatives uh, that are developed throughout the, uh, the course of the, uh, the, the movement of, of the chapter. And that what the writer is simply referring back to is, is, is what he said in the 13th chapter. But um, a couple of considerations, I think, tell against that. Look at verses 20 and 21. What you have there uh, is a closing, is a benediction. A benediction um, that is, is rather um, of a developed and, and, and majestic, beautiful um, uh, character. It, it has a certain uh, developed and solemn character which... Um, shows it to be that uh, closing off the document. 
And verse 22 then follows this sweeping benediction. And that would tend then to give it a uh, wider range back than simply to uh, the specific commands of verse 13 in in chapter 13. Uh, Further consideration is that uh, the writer here uses the singular, not the plural, not words of exhortation, but word of exhortation. And that singular uh, points to a broader reference, the way in which you would refer uh, in a generalizing way to a document as a whole. So um, the point that I'm wanting to come here, uh, come to here, um, first of all, uh, looking at 1319, uh, excuse me, 1322, is that the writer himself characterizes the entire document as hortatory. The writer is telling us, I see this document as essentially paranetic. Any questions about uh, 1322 and our comments there? Now, um, let me take a few minutes here um, to um, suggest that as we survey the document as a whole, do that um, carefully, and really you don't have to do it, I guess, all that carefully, uh, you can appreciate just how appropriate this label, word of exhortation, is. Not only do we find imperatives dealing with specific issues, such as we find, say, in 12, 12 through 14, and we've all already mentioned uh, uh, scattered throughout chapter 13, um, uh, individual imperatives, but there is also the famous chapter 11. The so-called roll call of faith is in its entirety hortatory. And exhortations occur frequently then throughout the entire book. And what I want to, uh, and and let me say right here, and I'm going to want to try to bring this out as as we go on, as as they permeate, as as they're found throughout the entire book, they are not only there, as it were, as the consequence of didactic material, they're not only a derivative of teaching portions, but as we have... uh, opportunity to look more carefully at things, we see that the exhortation in fact shapes the doctrinal discussion. The exhortation in a, in a certain way determines, is a determinant of the doctrinal discussion. And it's especially uh, under section C uh, here. The church has the new wilderness community that... Uh, that will get a, a particularly good uh, example uh, of that as I see it. Um, and what I thought it might be useful to do uh, at this point um, is uh, just bring together for us 
from um, throughout the document, uh, various hortatory materials, uh, uh, bring them together and um, for, for the impression that they, they have to leave with us of the fundamental nature of the exhortation, if you will, the, the first order uh, character of the Paranasis uh, that we find through the document. So, well, let's take a break and then we'll pick up um, on that. Um, I'll just do that very quickly as we get started again.